Ready, uh, go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls, I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. To see what they did to my mummy Pulled his organs out of his tummy Put him in spice, whacked him in a jar Painted him up with sticky tar Wrapped him in linen from his head to his toes Pulled his brains out of his nose That's not all the embalmers did They buried my mummy in a pyramid Ancient Egypt down by the Nile Mummy's going to be in a tomb for a while Figo, Pharaoh, it's not funny Tell King Tut I want my mummy Mummy's in a coffin of shining gold Lying in a tomb that's dark and cold Jewels and treasures he'll never see Cos he's half the mummy he used to be Dead as a doornail, blind as a bat With a mummified dog and a mummified cat Don't ask me what my daddy thinks Cos his chariot's parked at the local Sphinx Ancient Egypt down by the Nile Mummy's gonna be in a tomb for a while Figo, Pharaoh, it's not funny Till King Tut, I want my mummy Some fellas with spades and a torch to see Were doing some archaeology They saw a glimmer, they dug some more Couldn't believe the things they saw Ancient paintings, priceless jewels They gave a shout and dropped their tools But the greatest treasure they found by far Was a wrinkly mummy with his guts in a jar Ancient Egypt down by the Nile Mummy's gonna be in a tomb for a while Figo, Pharaoh, it's not funny Tell King Tut I want my mummy Ancient Egypt down by the Nile Mummy's gonna be in a tomb for a while Figo, Pharaoh, it's not funny Tell King Tut I want my mummy Tell King Tut I want my mummy Tell King Tut I want my mummy Greetings, my fellow galactic travelers, and welcome back to Planet 8. This is your mission commander, Larry, speaking to you from our hidden base. Chief Engineer Bob is here by my side, as always, in the command center, and circling Planet 8 in our orbital spy satellite is Reconnaissance Officer Karen. And on this episode of Planet 8, your intrepid crew is going to be taking a deep dive into all things surrounding your mommy. I mean, the mummy. <laughs> Straight away, we'll kick it up to the satellite. Karen, take it away. All right. Thanks, Larry. Well, you know, we've talked about in the past, we've talked about zombies. We've talked about werewolves. 
you know, we've we've looked at some of the various creatures of the night, but uh, the mummy is a little different because, you know, the mummy doesn't come from traditional folklore like some of these other creatures we've looked at. Um, really, the whole idea with the mummy originated because the uh, the popularity of, you know, Egypt and mummies and, uh, you know, sort of the, um, oh, the uh, culture and stylings of ancient Egypt that was so popular back in the 20s and 30s because of all the exploration and I guess we would probably now call it plundering of the tombs that were going on back then. Um, and, you know, the discovery in the 20s of King Tutankhamun's tomb, which had been undisturbed. So they had, a you know, uh, an amazing uh, find of all the treasure there. But then also uh, there was the legend of the curse of Tutankhamun's tomb that the people who uh, broke into the tomb and took all the artifacts and so forth were all uh, struck with a curse, a terrible curse, where, you know, the people who took the stuff uh, were all mysteriously uh, struck dead. <laughs> so, you know, this was all very popular around the time, you know, right after like Dracula and Frankenstein had come out for Universal, and the studio heads really wanted to find a way um you know, to to build off of this, you know, they thought, oh, how can we leverage that? And at the same time, you know, Boris Karloff was becoming a huge star and they wanted to find some vehicle that they could uh, put Karloff in and, and, you know, use his popularity. So uh, sort of like the whole, you know, you stuck your uh, chocolate in my peanut butter, you got peanut butter on my chocolate. They, they thought, oh, mummy, Karloff, hey, that sounds like a great idea. So uh, they put together um, two two folks to develop a scenario for the f the first film. I, I just One, want to say that sounds delicious to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> please continue. You didn't know it was a delicious Egyptian treat. Yes. Um, yeah, an old crusted mummy. <laughs> crusty. You didn't know that some of that crust was actually just old peanut butter that had <laughs> sat for thousands of years. There you go. Uh, so they said, okay, now let's, let's do this. Let's put together this, this project capitalizing off of uh, the popularity of King Tut and the mummies. And so uh, they got Nina Wilcox Putnam, who was a, an author, a novelist, and uh, asked her to work with Richard Scheer. He was the head of Universal's scenario department. And they put together a, a little nine-page um, piece for, for figuring out the film, and they called it Cagliostro. And so their idea was about this immortal man um, who, uh, and it kind of varies depending on the source you look at. I looked at a, a few different things. Uh, in some cases, supposedly their scenario was an immortal Egyptian um, who is revived. In other cases, it was not an Egyptian. So I'm not sure exactly where the truth of the story is, but they wrote up this scenario that involved uh, an immortal coming back and finding uh, his the reincarnation of his true love, right? And so, um, you know, they thought, okay, this will be great for, for Karloff. Uh, then uh, John Balderston, who had worked on the screenplays for Dracula and Frankenstein, was assigned to write the full screenplay. 
And so this is where we go, you know, from Cagliostro uh, to what we finally got in The Mummy. And it's interesting, the title changed along the way as they were working on it. Uh, even as they were filming it, it went from Cagliostro to King of the Dead to Imhotep. And then halfway through filming it, it finally became The Mummy. Hmm. And so, you know, basically, if you look at the structure of the, the 1932 mummy, it's basically Dracula. You know, you have this immortal character who comes back, who has these powers over other, over, over mortal men and women, you know, these kind of hypnotic abilities, and it has this woman that they're fixated on, right? And so it's, in a lot of ways, uh, the mummy was mirroring Dracula in the plot. Um, if you watch it and really look at it, you'll go like, oh, yeah, that's really like Dracula. And not only was it similar in that way, but you had actors like Edward Van Sloan, who had been Van Helsing in Dracula, playing a similar role in the mummy. Mm-hmm. So kind of kind of funny there to think that just, you know, in a couple of years, they would basically redo the same film. It's well, I mean, do you know what the uh, the theme song was to the Mummy? What was was it Swan Lake again? Yeah, I think it, Swan Lake, yeah. just like Dracula. Right. It's interesting to think that you know, going through the name changes, Emotep, the Mummy, King of the End, because Dracula at the time that it was made was very popular, the novel, the play, and so they didn't have to call it like you know, slick vampire or, you know, whatever <laughs> Dracula and, and people understood what Dracula, same with Frankenstein. They could have called it the creature, um, Dr. Frankenstein's, you know, whatever. And then all that thought goes, and, and who knows, maybe a bunch of different titles and, and thinking went into those other films because it's Dracula, Frankenstein, as I think of universal monsters, then the mummy, then the wolf man, you know, they didn't say, Larry Talbot's curse or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think, you know, like Dracula and Frankenstein were existing novels and those were the names of the novels. So they just... So they just, yeah, yeah they just use those. And it's yeah, tough. They're kind of lucky. I mean, they had existing properties to work with and then now they've got to come up with something, right? So Yeah, because mm-hmm. the mummy's like, they... quote, all, uh, even though it's like Dracula and whatever, but it's all new. It's, it's like a new, new concept for them. They, they just sort of cribbed it from Dracula. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, so they, you know, they start putting it together. The director was Carl Freund, and it was his first time directing. He had been a cinematographer before on a lot of other efforts. Um, of course, you know, the makeup. I always felt gypped that we only got to see the mummy briefly <laughs> in the actual mummy. You know, Jack Pierce put a huge amount of effort into that makeup. They said it took eight hours to put Boris Karloff into the full mummy makeup, but we barely get to see it in the film. Although afterwards, I mean, he still has makeup on. Oh, yeah. Because he has that old, wrinkled mm-hmm. skin look. So I wasn't like, oh, now I don't have to wear any makeup now for the rest of the film. But I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the, the later films, but I think... Uh, yeah, yeah, and God knows I love, I'm for sure we all love Jack Pierce. Um, the amount of work that went in, and, and, and that's the crying shame of it, is that we only see it for such a short amount of time. 
like Christopher Lee's mummy. You could, you could tell that was a costume that, you know, he wasn't individually wrapped with a bunch of bandages and it kind of shows, I mean, you know, but, um, the things that could have been too, too bad, huh? Well, I'm sure Karloff was pleased that he, <laughs> he didn't have to run around in that mummy outfit. I could just uh, imagine, Jack, how, how does one use the, how, how does one um, relieve themselves? Oh, you, you gotta wait till you get out of the costume. They didn't put a flap in it, so apparently he had to hold it <laughs> the whole time. Which, That's right. Yeah. I, I yeah. And, you know, I think, I think they realized. I don't know. When I looked at it, you know, for me personally, mummies are really kind of a slight notch up from the Invisible Man, who I just I never watch those movies. So, <laughs> yeah, mummies, mummies better than the the, uh, the Invisible Man, but he's still for me down kind of on the lower rungs of the Universal monsters. And well, I think you suggested this. I know. I, that's why I thought it would be interesting. So, you know, if you look at the Universal Mummy movies, though, the first one, yeah, he's the mummy for like all of five minutes. And then he's, you know, Imhotep for the rest of it. Um, but then when you get to the second movie, was it uh, The Mummy's Tomb? Or no, Mummy's Hand. Mummy's Hand. Yeah. Yeah. Then, okay, now he's like the mummy all the way through. Not Karloff. It's Tom Tyler, I think, played it in uh, yeah. in Mummy's Hand. And then Lon Chaney Jr. took over after that. But same thing. If you look at, just compare the first two movies. The first film, like we said, is basically like Dracula. The subsequent films, starting with Mummy's Hand, really has sort of a a precursor to like Creature from the Black Lagoon because it's sort of a monster on the loose type film where he's just going around mm -hmm. and killing people and, you know, grabs mm -hmm. the girl and off he goes and they have to chase him down. Um, so yeah, it's sort of like Creature from the Black Lagoon on land. But yeah, I, I enjoy those more than I enjoy the original Karloff. And then to... To, as a bonus, I mean, they're each like, what, about an hour, hour and five minutes long. So you start getting bored and it's over anyway. So, Well, you know, and I, I hesitate to say it, uh, but I too enjoyed some of the later films, especially The Mummy's Hand is really good. The Mummy's Hand is like a template for a lot of other films that came later on. I mean, we'll, we may talk a little bit about the Brendan Fraser films, but... Certainly, the mummy's hand was the template for that film, more so than you know anything else. And I know a lot of people say, "Oh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, mummy was becoming that." If you look at what happens in like the mummy's hand, it's it's an adventure film. You know, these guys are in Egypt. They go off on this expedition. You know, they they're running around with guns and torches and doing all kinds of fight scenes and stuff. And you know, yeah, there's a mummy in it, but it doesn't have the sense of, like, foreboding and the supernatural like the original mummy has. The, the original mummy is very much a, a, like, mood piece, right? You know, you've got yeah. Karloff, and, and not to take anything away from Karloff, I felt, you know, he did a great job in it, but it's a little ponderous and 
it's it's more about creating a mood, creating a feeling. And, you know, it's that's fine, but I guess I don't have very refined tastes because I enjoyed seeing the guys, you know, running around the temples and, you know, trying to avoid the mummy. and The Tom, monsters on the loose. Yeah, and like Tom <laughs> Tyler is the mummy. I thought I... I enjoy him much more than Lon Chaney as the mummy. So there's another sacrilegious thing to say. Well, the one thing I'll say about Tom Tyler is I think, and this is just my theory watching the movie, but it seems like when they shot it, his eyes may have been too dark. And so they, they went in afterwards and, you know, they don't have CGI, right? So they did actual (laughs) animated cartoon eyes in certain <laughs> scenes when they needed him to look to the left or look to the right or whatever. And, uh, uh, you know, it's just, it looks well, kind of goofy, really. What, yeah, I read, I was say. <laughs> what I read was that they wanted to make it look like in some cases that his eyes were empty. So they actually went in and, and like painted over the film for close-ups and then they just didn't bother on the medium and long shots because they figured nobody could see them anyway. Although, of course, now with the resolution oh, yeah. we have on our TVs, we can definitely see those things. Um, but, yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting effect. And it almost looks kind of sparkly around the edges. You know, like something – there's some sort of weird – energy around his eyes or something. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's definitely a weird look. And they don't do that in the subsequent movies, though. Because, you know, it's kind of funny because I watched was well, the next one was The Mummy's Tomb. And the movie's only an hour long. And they spend the first like 10 or 12 minutes recapping the previous film right. and showing <laughs> footage from The Mummy's Hand. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so it was like, well, we only have to shoot about 50 minutes, 48, 50 minutes now. So that was... I was watching it. It's like, man, are, are we going to get a new movie or is this going to be it? You know, because they just went on and on and on about about the previous film. And again, you know, Karloff was Imhotep. And then starting with the second movie and in Hammer's version, mm-hmm. it was Karis. Right. Until you, until you got to changes. Brendan Fraser and then it went back to Imhotep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the princess becomes Ananka. In the uh, follow-up films, in the original, she was, I can't, I have such a hard Anaxunamun. time. Anaxunamun. Anaxunamun. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, originally the, they had the Scroll of Life, which was used to try and, you know, bring back the mummy. And, and I think also for the reincarnation. But then later, the focus is on Tana leaves. And, oh, you don't want to give Karis too many ton of leaves because then he's going to go nuts and you can't stop him you know so I will say I have a little anecdote from my childhood uh, you know I used to watch these with my mom she was a big fan of the, the universals and uh, I, at some point I guess I probably got fixated on the whole mummy thing and uh, she had these little silver leaves she used to work on like cakes you know and cake decoration so she had these little silver leaves that she would use on cakes. And so at one point she had a little plastic bottle and she put the leaves in there and she said, here's your Tana leaves. And so I would run around and it's like, we've got to hide them from, 
characters who become crazy, you know? So it was like, that was my little mummy thing. Karis, Karen, 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 yeah, it works. <laughs> there you go. He was, he was looking for me. Karen's going crazy. She's got her tunnelies again. <laughs> don't drink, don't brew anything with the tunnel leaves. I, I do think it's funny the choices they made, but I think in some ways they're very successful, right? They So they sort of peeled off the high priest aspect and they have a separate character, you know, who is like this high priest who is responsible for seeking revenge on, you know, the infidels who desecrated the tomb. And then you have Karis, who is like the instrument of revenge. Um, it's an interesting thing that, that they did in these films, although I have to say that the four sequels in my brain are almost interchangeable because the stories are pretty much the same. Like, oh, let's go after, after you get past actually the mummy's hand, the story is pretty much the same. You know, they come to the U.S. to find the descendants of whoever violated the tomb. And, and at some point we go from, it was in Massachusetts, but then suddenly we're in like Louisiana. So it's that weird universal continuity that's sort of continuity, but not real continuity. Um, but they're a lot of fun. I have to say, I, I enjoyed the, the sequels, you know. I didn't get through all four of them. I got through three of them. I always thought of it as, you know, there's there's a religious aspect to it with the priest and, you know, whether it's raw or or one of the Egyptian gods. And then the mummy was an instrument. It, it reminded me of, of voodoo and, mm -hmm. and zombies, Haitian zombies, mm -hmm. you know. Well, he was kind of, he was kind of a lackey in the, in the I, sequels. Yeah. Basically, it Doing wasn't really like a, a deity. Yeah. So it's just an interesting take on similar mythology. I mean, cause that's kind of like the weird difference. Cause Imhotep, you know, he had a, he had an affair with a priestess and, you know, all that. Mm -hmm. And he was, you know, punished for that. Karis, he's got punished for stealing a bunch of leaves. Uh, I was like, you know. <laughs> that's it. That's all he did. And he's being mummified and his tongue's getting cut off and tongue, everything. It's like, yeah. what the heck? Cut his tongue off, gave him googly eyes. I mean, what the hell? That's right. Well, he was in love with the princess, though. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think that was like... The reason that he was mummified. I mean, he, they're basically saying the reason was because he stole the, the you know, tannel leaves. So, well, I think they knew, <laughs> the they knew he leaves. was going to make her a cake. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they knew he he had a scheme to revive her. I think was well, and it's, was it's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so there was some kind of. You know, it wasn't like Wolfbane, you know, where, you know, the Wolfbane is going to, you know, transform you into into whatever. But that's another weird thing they did in the sequels was that they had to give Karis the Tana leaves during the full moon. It was like, why the full moon? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> they should have had a crossover with the Wolfman. You know? <laughs> they weren't doing the Wolfman yet. Yeah, that's no, right. This, these were all but the interesting thing too, too though is a, a lot of the soundtracks on these were Hans Salter and you can hear a lot of like parts of the music that would be used later in the Wolfman 
and used in Creature from the Black Lagoon and other uh, Frankenstein sequels. And yeah, uh, well, they were reusing some music already in these. I think I read because I, I when I was watching, um, oh, I forget which one. Maybe the mummy's ghost or something. I was like, man, this music is really familiar. And I read somewhere that they recycled some of the music from, I think it was Son of Frankenstein. Huh. Um, so, I yeah, know. I mean, if you if you look at the credits, it'll say like music composed by Hans Salter, or on the ones where he used a lot of just library music or recycled his own music. It just says music coordinator mm. and Salter. So, so that's a, a cue. I think that's, yeah, that's kind of the cue that, oh, yeah, he pretty much went back into his library and just dropped cues in, mm. which is a big money saver, I guess, if you don't have to bring in a big orchestra. Well, and it, it's clear that they were trying to save money on these, these films. Um, like you said, this, you know, the third one, yeah, it begins with about 10 minutes of footage from the previous one. So yeah. that was, I kept waiting like, okay, are they going to get into it? Or are they going to get, and it was just kept going and going. So I'm kind yeah, of wondering if that's like were, the first movie to use stock footage that way. Hmm. I mean, I know a lot of movies use stock footage. Like here's some library footage of the lion of lions in the jungle. It's just so we don't have to go out on location, you know, it's like in a Tarzan movie or something. Yeah. But as far as like mo using footage that you shot in a previous film to fill up time in a sequel. Well, there, just, there wouldn't have been that many films at that stage that had uh, previous entries, you know, right? And who knows what the budget was, too. It could be a cost saving. Same with the well, music. It was. Just, yeah, I mean... You know, you're able to cut down on costs and and uh, move forward with you know whatever. And another thing too, maybe they didn't realize that these movies would be dissected and watched for the next like <laughs> ninety years. <laughs> well, that's the yeah. thing. I mean, later on when they use stock footage in films, it's like okay, that one came out two years ago, and who knows if anyone actually watched it. And if we sneak some footage in here, then no one's really going to know. But then when they started hitting television and you see them, you know, week after week, or then you get home video and what have you and streaming and now you're watching them all the time, then you know, okay, look at all the stock footage in this film. Yeah. Well, that's an excellent point, Bob. Right. Nobody probably thought that they would put these packages together for the 330 movie or the Chiller Diller and, and it just got recycled mm -hmm. over and over and over again for the masses. Yeah. I mean, these pretty much the movies came out. Then they went in a vault, and then the next movie came out. And, yeah, there wasn't even television really yet. So they had no clue that, yeah, any of them would see the light of day after their initial run. Well, you know, it's kind of funny, too, because apparently they picked Tom. One of the reasons that they picked Tom Tyler uh, to play the mummy in the first sequel was they felt he looked enough like Boris Karloff from a distance that they could put in some footage from the mummy and huh. people might not know the difference. You know? Right. Well, that's definitely the thing because Karloff 
he's really gaunt and he has kind of those sunken cheeks. Mm-hmm. So then when you get to like the third film and Lon Chaney Jr. takes over, oh. he is <laughs> he has a rounder face. He's fuller. Yeah, he wasn't like fat by then, but you know he did have he's, a he's, different well, he shape. Chunky. I, I he tell was you, chunky monkey. It's like Bob playing the role for the first two movies, and I taking over for the third and the fourth. <laughs> You're going to notice a bit of a difference. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean the face is definitely rounder, and yeah, you know, it's a different look. But yeah, well, well, in some ways they were able to kind of justify it because, and I, I was thinking about this when I was watching. It was like. Oh, what happens between like the second and third film? It's sort of like what happens in Bride of Frankenstein, or the beginning of Bride of Frankenstein. So, like in Frankenstein, at the end, the creature, you know, the the tower goes down and he's burnt and caught under all the rubble. And then when Frank, uh, Bride of Frankenstein starts, he's noticeably burned. You know, his forehead and everything is burned, and he's got scars and stuff. The same thing happens with the mummy between those. Two films, the the mummy's hand and the the mummy's tomb. At the end of the hand, right, he's burned and and everything. And so when they start the mummy's tomb, they say, "Oh, you know, Karras is, you know, has gone through the fire and his he's lost the use of his eye and you know da 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 da." And it's like, "Oh, okay, so that's why he looks so shitty now," <laughs> <laughs> you know. And it's like. Maybe it explains why his face is fuller. Maybe it explains why, you know, at least they had some sort of explanation for the change in his appearance. A lot of wear and tear on them bandages. He's been Mm -hmm. gorging on those tunnel leaves. (laughs) Yeah. Give me them tunnel leaves. (laughs) That and he probably discovered fast food since he was spending so much time in the Americas. Those kids in the, the lovers' lanes, he goes in and grabs their shakes and fries and <laughs> runs off with them. That's right. So, but now once the Universal movies had their run, it was a pretty long layoff for the mummy, right? I mean, there wasn't really a whole lot of. Yeah, Indep- yeah. Until Hammer came along, really, I don't think there was really too many like independent mummy Just, movies or whatever. And no. Costello Meet the Mummy in 55 was probably the closest. I mean, it was still a universal yeah. uh, at that point, but but they kind the of was looking they kind of brought back. the mummy back for that because Abbott and Costello had a big hit with uh, Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. Right. So they brought the mummy back and then they did, what was it, Abbott and Costello Meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Mm-hmm. So, but no, you know, neither of those compared to Frankenstein. No, but, nothing could compete with that. Uh, in fact, I watched Abbott Costello meet the Mummy. Me too. And yeah, it's just it's flat. It's flat. It's kind of it's more kind of slapstick, mm-hmm. and it's really it doesn't have the creativity. I don't know who wrote that versus who wrote you know the Frankenstein film, but. It definitely did not have the the humor that uh, the first one had. Yeah, there was very little in that that made me laugh or even smile. It was kids. I'm so loose and easy. I love <laughs> Abbott and Costello, The Mummy, Doctor Jekyll. Yes, Frankenstein is is number one, but man, I was just pissing and farting the whole night. 
<laughs> watch okay. that. Well, that may not have anything to do with humor, though. <laughs> you want to see your doctor about that. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, then, then Hammer comes along, you know, and they basically work out a deal with Universal to do their own versions of the Universal monsters. And, of course, uh, you know, they do Dracula and they do Frankenstein and then... In Mother. color. Yes, in color, in gory color. Gory color. Well, see, the, the interesting thing about all those films that Universal made is for whatever reason, well, like Dracula, there was really a Dracula in real life, so they couldn't copyright the name. Uh, I don't know what the situation was with Frankenstein, but like Wolfman, they were able to copyright Wolfman, but not Werewolf. So anyone could do a Werewolf movie after that. And uh, things like like The Mummy, there were mummies that you can't really copyright, you know, a name of something. So yeah, Hammer jumped on that and did Frankenstein films and mummy films and, you know, Dracula films. And, and, uh, they had, was it curse of the werewolf? So, uh, they were able to kind of go in there and recreate the whole universal universe due to the whole copyright thing. You know, they worked with, with universal and, you know, even in, so in the, the 59 Mummy, which is my absolute favorite mummy movie and one of my favorite Hammer films, probably my top three. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's essentially, I think it's in a lot of ways, it's a, a do-over of um, the mummy's hand because of the, the mummy and his uh, the high priest traveling to England. So it's England instead of the U.S., and they're taking their revenge on those who, you know, violated the uh, the tomb. They use a lot of the same names. They the Banning name, you know, there was Stephen and John Banning, the father yeah. and son. So, um, yeah, it's definitely it's a it's a kind of alternate universe version of uh, the Universal films. But my God, I I just that Christopher Lee mummy is a juggernaut i mean most of the time we think of the mummy and we think he's so slow you could just run away right you just run away what's he going to do it's going to take him a week to catch you yeah but everybody but, always trips when they're running away and then he boom he's right on you <laughs> yeah well I, look yeah. i i hear what you're saying walker but that that rubenesque lon cheney jr mummy was just <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about running away not running towards he was quite the cherub <laughs> We don't need to hear your fantasies. We'll put those on the Planet 8 after dark. Oh, okay, fair, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. I, you know, I have to say, Christopher Lee, he's, he's such a tall oh, figure, yeah. and his eyes were amazing to me. It gave such, you know, especially when it's like, you know, we're going back, you know, to the to the homeland, and he kind of looked at the guy like, what? You know? I, I just found my long lost love. I the the eyes just really worked well for me. Yeah. The other thing was um, Peter Cushing's limp. It it draw it, it drew my attention to you know his character, and then you you listen to what he had to say. It, it's not that it gave him gravitas, but I, I don't know. It just 
he played it so well for me. It was. It's interesting because you think of the mummy in these movies as usually dragging his leg, and in this case, no, it's the yeah, the archaeologist is kind of dragging his, right, his leg, right. you know. But uh, yeah, I just I, I think it's such a well done film, and I I have seen it so many times, and I, I want to give a shout out to my friend Billy who runs the magazines and monsters podcasts. Back in uh, May of this year, we did a whole episode. He had me on his show, and we did a whole episode on this film. So <laughs> I can go on cool. and on about it. Um, so people can please check out Billy's magazines and monsters. We um, should we should put a link. Um, I'll put a link in the uh, uh, yeah in the posting. Um, but yeah, you know, there's it's such a dynamic film, and it's it's not. Um, it's kind the kind of mummy movie, you know, that I think as a kid, um, not to put anything down about the Universal Monsters, you know, I loved watching them as a mm-hmm. kid, but, you know, they were not especially athletic. You know, you go back now and you watch and it's like Wolfman jumps up three feet on a crate or something, you know, that's like... It was like, a different time, <laughs> It was though. a different I, era, yes. Yeah, exactly. yeah. You know? So our expectations for what they would be doing, I mean, nowadays, you know, if things aren't jumping 50 feet in the air and exploding and whatever, Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, people aren't satisfied. Uh, But I love like the scenes like where uh, he's going after um, Peter Cushing's dad in the asylum and he just rips that grate out and jumps down in the thing. And Mm -hmm. I mean, this is not any slow. And escape the same way. I mean, see it, but yeah, he's, one of the things that would have been cool would have been to have seen Christopher Lee play the character, uh, you know, of, of the mummy unwrapped, kind of like Karloff did. I mean, we saw him as a priest, you know, mm. thousands of years ago, but it would have been cool to kind of see him play, uh, you know, that okay, dynamic. The Ardeth Bay. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, he, yeah. He would have given a really good portrayal of that character yeah definitely so yeah so but hammerhead you know and karen mentioned this and i didn't even know and i feel stupid for not knowing that there were actually sequels to the hammer mummy oh yeah and for a reason whatever reason growing up i just never saw any of them hmm. you know i didn't see i saw one of them i didn't see the first two, so in 64, they had The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb. I still haven't seen that. In 67, it was The Mummy's Shroud, and I haven't seen that. Uh, 1971, Blood from the Mummy's Tomb. Now, I have seen that one. For whatever reason, that was shown uh, on our L.A. stations, and probably because it had, I believe it was Valerie Leon or Leon. Mm. Um, there was a lot of under boob shown, so <laughs> pretty popular film. Wow. Um, you know, leaned heavily on the reincarnation angle. Um, I don't remember a lot of mummy in it, um, but I'm sure uh, our listeners may uh, remember it fondly. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I purchased the Blu-ray. Of the the mummy shroud or shroud of the mummy, and unfortunately ran out of time. Mm. 
So that'll have to be watched post Planet Eight Mummy. If episode. only we had more time. If only. If only there were That's more than one of me. <laughs> There's four mummy movies from them. Kind wow. of surprising. Fascinating. Yeah. But there were like sprinkles of mummies in like throughout TV. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing I watched, which wasn't really TV, it's TV now, but it was shorts back then, was We Want Our Mummy with the Three Stooges. Mm. That's when they're tasked with going out to find the tomb of King Root and Tootin. And uh, they go out to find that. And of course, there's a group that's also trying to find it. And, you know, hilarious adventures ensue <laughs> until they think they found it. But in fact, they did not find the tomb or they did not find the, uh, the mummy of King Root and Tootin. They actually found the mummy of his wife, Queen Hatsitatsi. <laughs> and it turned out King Root and Tootin was a midget. So throughout this episode, you see this little three foot coffin like up against a wall. And at the end, you find out, yeah, that was him all along with that little three foot coffin thing. Do they do they actually show a three foot tall mummy? No, no, they they start carrying oh. the uh, casket out and an uh, alligator appears and Curly wants to take it home and it turns out it's a real alligator and they all run out the door and off into wherever. So, um, yeah, it was when hilarity ensues. But, yeah, I did, I did watch that. And then I also watched, because I have no problem ever watching Johnny Quest... I watched the Johnny Quest episode Curse of Anubis, which featured the mummy. In fact, when you watch Johnny Quest during the opening titles, they show the mummy walking and then breaking through the door and all that. And uh, that was one where someone has stolen a bust of Anubis and they were actually out trying to find that when they stumble across a mummy which is actually a very cool mummy. And hmm. uh, the way he just kind of stomps along and the music kind of, you know, dun, 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 dun. Very cool. Very, very moody episode. And then, uh, of course, I watched uh, an episode of Ultraman, which featured a mummy. And uh, the mummy's human size. He's not like giant fighting Ultraman. I was Ultraman. just going to ask. No, he was just, he was a mummy and he was kind of running amok. He was cool mummy though because he was bandaged up to just below his chest and then his his wrists had bandages, but he was more kind of simian and he had these pointed ears and lasers that came out of his eyes. But uh, they ended up, they had, you know, he was fighting a bunch of security guards and uh, they had to subdue him with a spider shot. And he basically died and then this giant sort of Pegasus creature breaks out of a cave or a hillside and uh, comes out. He's originally tasked to protect the mummy, but the mummy's dead. So he's running amok and Ultraman has to come and save the day. But... um, 
That was very cool. The only other episode I did not get, supposedly there, there's a, there is a mummy episode of Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, but I never got to that one. Like Larry, I ran out of time. <laughs> but, so many hours in the day. Yeah, only so much you can watch between episodes. But Well, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of Phantasm, the Phantasm films, John Cascarelli. And if you guys have never seen Bubba Hotep, I highly recommend. Years uh, ago. My, what's that, Walker? I saw it years ago. Oh, it's oh, yeah. my kind of humor. Stars Bruce Campbell, Ozzy Davis. Um, yeah, but tell the tell the listeners who they play. Well, so Ozzy, well, yeah, Bruce Campbell plays Elvis. The and the, and the brilliant thing is, he they believe that he's an Elvis impersonator because when he fell and hurt his hip, he was singing as an Elvis impersonator to make money to you know buy food or whatever but in his mind and the way he portrays himself he is the king and he went into hiding for a little while and hired an elvis impersonator to take his place so he could have some time off and it was the elvis impersonator that had the heart attack not elvis <laughs> so elvis you know he, he decides to live this like life as an elvis impersonator hurts his hip goes into a convalescent hospital meets ozzy davis who thinks he's jfk Yes, John F. Kennedy. And he's like, but, but you know, you're you're black. And he's like, oh, yeah, they changed my color. The Secret Service, you know, there's a whole conspiracy <laughs> thing. And it's hilarious. Um, it, you know, it, it is your mission commander's kind of humor. So at one point, Ozzy's trying to convince Bruce, Ca or, you know, JFK's trying to produce, uh, convince Elvis that there's a mummy, uh, you know, uh, near the near the rest home. And he's I, I was attacked. He says, you were attacked, Mr. President? Yes. The mummy had his mouth to my ass trying to suck my soul out. He's like, what? Oh, yeah, they can suck your soul out of any orifice. I'm like dying <laughs> of laughter. But anyway, I, I don't want to give the, the ending away. It, it's, it's a pretty cool mummy. It's, it's not low budget, but it's not, you know, Tom Cruise. Uh, budget either which we'll we'll get to don't it's worry kind, it's, it's kind of a higher end independent type film yeah it's a lot of fun it it you know if you haven't seen it i i do recommend it and um and just just enjoy it for what it is now as far as tv your mission commander has the box set of uh in search of the leonard nimoy uh mm -hmm. series and there was a mummy episode uh, it was more about king tut and, you know, the religious aspect of, you know, the the mummification process and why they mummified their um, their kings and um, the curse because of, you know, breaking the seals and, and taking out the artifacts and which is interesting because they kind of touch on that in the Hammer mummy movie. There's there's a brilliant conversation between. Um, oh God, what's his name? Um, the Egyptian, the guy who's controlling, um, Christopher Lee's mummy and Peter okay. Cushing. Right. And you know, well, why would you violate, you know, a people's religion? Well, you know, it's not really a religion, is it? And I'm, I'm like, well, 
That's kind of like a different time. So, okay. I was going to say, those movies are very problematic today. <laughs> yeah. He's like, but don't you care? No, I don't. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> um, anyway. Um, Leonard Nimoy, if, if you ever, there's some, some episodes on YouTube. I, I recommend that as well. Did you but, guys ever get to go see the King Tut exhibit when it was here in the States? I did not. No. Uh, I, uh, I got to go with my class when we were, oh. I don't know, about 13. I think I was about 13. We got to go down to L.A. They had it at the L.A. Museum right near the La Brea Tar Pits. That Ooh. was a whole other thing. That, we got to see that, too. You could have had uh, a mummy but, coming out of the tar. It would have been cool. <laughs> no, that would have been awesome. Uh, yeah, we got to go see the, the King Tut exhibit. And uh, that was really the whole trip was mind blowing because not only did we get to go to a big <laughs> LA museum and see, you know, all this cool Egyptian stuff, then right outside was the La Brea tar pits. So, you know, like they had fake dinosaurs being sucked into the tar and you could smell it. And it was like, this is fantastic. Mama. Then yeah. on the drive back, we drove down some street in Hollywood and saw all these hookers. So this was like, for small town kids, it was like unbelievable. Those were all the mummies' wives. <laughs> Who are those ladies? Those That's are the his harem. I, I also uh, recommend, if you have HBO Max, check out the Scooby-Doo uh, episode with the mummy. It, it, you know, your mission commander is all about sound bites, and this mummy wanted the coin back that, you know, Shaggy accidentally put in his sandwich or whatever. And he would just run around chasing those kids. Coin, coin, coin. <laughs> it was the weirdest way to say the word coin. <laughs> I, I was picturing him going around like the uh, kid on the bike and better off dead. <laughs> I want my two dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty similar, actually, Chief. Yeah, the only uh, other... Uh, cartoon mummy I watched mm -hmm. was an episode of Gachaman also known as Battle of the Planets where they had a giant mummy that attacks an airport and uh, he, had, yeah, he ends up getting some of his bandages burned off and kind of like the Ultraman episode he was he's kind of a demon looking thing underneath but um, he's basically a, a giant galactor robot but uh it was. That's it's a very, very moody episode. Really nice uh, animation. So if you get a chance, check that out. So yeah, it's interesting too. I, I didn't get a chance to watch it, but I know my brothers would watch uh, back in the eighties. So they had He Man, and they had that Skeletor. And it's like, well, why is he a skeleton? He Man's He Man was. Well, to even further like blow your mind, there was this Lion series called Thundercats, and the characters were you know, panthers and lions, but their enemy was a mummy. I was like, well, what does a mummy have to do with lions and panthers? But, you know, they just rolled with it and enjoyed, you know, it was the 80s kids, so you just, you, you, you went along with it. It's like they were pulling this stuff out of the hat. Like, okay, robot, mummy, demon, yeah. lion. Yeah. <laughs> you know. What are things kids like? Okay, we'll just, you know. Well, that kind of all slides us up to the Brendan Fraser films. There you go. I got to say, I was pleasantly surprised I hadn't seen the first uh, Brendan Fraser mummy in many years. And I think I had sort of 
written it off in my head as like a um, both a poor ripoff of Raiders of the Lost Ark and and I think I also had had decided somewhere along the line that you know oh they just they went from from the supernatural element to just an action adventure and I, I can say that I have changed my mind oh good um, so you had originally put it on a level with like romancing the stone <laughs> I, I don't know I just I just felt like they had kind of betrayed the original intent of mummy movies you know that it wasn't really a monster movie that it wasn't really it didn't retain the spirit but i think what helped was seeing like the mummy's hand the mummy's tomb those original films first and then a few days later then seeing the, the brennan fraser film and seeing how that could be an evolution you know that yeah of course well, you know, shit, if they'd had the, the money and the effects and means, they probably would have had, you know, mummies making giant sandstorms and, you know, sure. all this other stuff. But they had like a buck fifty to do everything on. So they're not going to do that, right? Um, see, see, when the Brendan Fraser movies came out, again, I you know, I had the mummy just on a rung or two higher than The Invisible Man. I wasn't really a big fan. So when this came out, I said, okay, now he's got powers, he's doing things, it's more mm -hmm. exciting, he's not just he's not just shuffling along waiting for someone to trip. You know, he's <laughs> he's out there like doing things. And I, I really enjoyed the first one. Yeah. Subsequent ones, I you know, take them or leave them, but yeah. I thought the first one was really good. Yeah. I think they, they made some really um, likable characters. And Brendan Fraser's just, you know, at, at least especially at that time, he was a very, um, he was a very uh, enjoyable actor. You know, he was doing a lot of different things and, and he had good chemistry between him and Rachel Weisz. Um, they had, uh, I always think of him as the George Harrison looking guy. Uh, <laughs> let me, Oded Fair, who played the, the you know the uh, magi the leader mm -hmm. of the magi yeah. um they had a good cast on that too and which i think is critical with these kind of things you can't just have like the mummies or the special effects or whatever you got to have a, a cast that people want to go along the adventure with you know well i i give them such credit because had you never heard of the mummy or had any exposure you could watch this film and 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 run with it. You, you didn't need to know anything else. And and they they did their own thing, you know. Um, it, it was action adventure. It was kind of scary. It was spooky. It was funny. Um, I I give it the highest. One of my favorite um, mummy movies. Actually, it's up there with Abbott and Costello. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, and it, I think it's good because they they kept. Some of the elements from like the original mummies, what you could kind of project, like Imhotep would have those kinds of powers if you had, again, like that big budget kind of thing. He mm -hmm. already had the ability to kind of control people and stuff. So well, and the look of him reanimating himself mm -hmm. soul by soul, I mean, that right. was going through his brain and, and stuff was just. Phew. And then, you know, they, they had the tombs and going in, and, you know, you look at like the 
the uh, the mummy's hand, they're going into tombs, and they don't have any budget, so they just have, like, you know, it looks like a tunnel or whatever, and then they reused some stuff from other movies. Uh, so naturally, when they have, you know, this early CGI and more budget, you know, they have these huge, expansive tombs with oh, sure. all these statues and stuff. So, yeah, I just thought, you know, when I saw it again, it was like, yeah, okay, this is actually a pretty good uh, modern version i I think for me this movie had the best enunciation pronunciation of anaksanamun but uh yeah great movie and and i'm with bob two and three i not as bad as the tom cruise version but you know, not great either. I I didn't rewatch the second one, but like a month or so ago, I saw the third one. The uh, the Emperor. Uh, it was the uh, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor for the first yeah. time. The yeah. Jetly. Um, it was all right. Yeah, I mean, to me, it didn't have as much to do with you know the original as I might have liked. It seemed like they kind of grafted a different movie onto the. The mummy. Um, I like the idea that it didn't have to be an Egyptian mummy. Um, that was, I, I didn't get around to watching it, but uh, El Santo was going to fight a mummy. Have the DVD, just didn't have time to watch it. <laughs> um, you know, an Aztec mummy. There were other cultures that mummified. Huh? Oh, sure. You, you know, used mummification. And, Curse and of the Aztec it. mummy, there was... Wrestling women versus the Aztec mummy, robot versus the Aztec robot. mummy. Yeah. So. But I also, you know, I was kind of like searching around looking for mummy movies. And there was one on, I think it was Tubi from 2015, Frankenstein versus the mummy. <laughs> wow. And I thought, man, an unknown cast, unknown crew, 2015. This has all the makings of a pretty terrible movie. Yeah. But I figure I'm going to watch it just so I can talk about it on the podcast. And it was actually pretty good. I enjoyed it as far as mummy movies go. And, you know, they have the two divergent plot lines. This basically takes place at a university. And you have the uh, ancient Egyptian department and they've find this mummy, bring it to the university, and they're studying it. In the meantime, you've got this biology class taught by Dr. Victor Frankenstein. And, of course, he's collecting body parts and putting together his monster. And, uh, you know, eventually, as the two storylines get closer and closer together, then obviously the, uh, the creatures have to clash. But... It was uh, it was good. I mean, Frankenstein is not your you know stereotypical Frankenstein. It looks like a long haired guy in a trench coat with scars all over him. But uh, the mummy looks pretty good. I mean, it's I don't know. I didn't look too much into it to see like what studio it came from or how it came to be. But uh, if you get a chance, just go search Tubi for. Uh, Frankenstein versus the mummy and uh, it's it's good I, I liked it cool 
Ooh, check that out. There you go, folks. And then on the flip side, yeah, I had to watch uh, Tom Cruise and that mummy. <laughs> the, mo- the movie that killed off a franchise. It is quite an amazing thing to watch because you can sort of see the bones of something there that might have been interesting. You know, they, they got basically a female version of Imhotep, uh, you know, a protagonist or villainous. But the the whole thing with Cruz, it's like he just is so miscast. Mm-hmm. That yeah, I didn't I didn't mind the female mummy all that much. Yeah, and I really didn't mind Cruz all that much. But this just the movie itself was just a, such a disjointed mess. Yeah, that it was uh, it was hard to watch. Yeah. I've only seen it once, and Tom Cruise, well, that's all I got to say about that. Well, I've seen it twice now, and I mean, I saw it when it came out in the theater, and then uh, again for for our little show here. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think they expected it to do a bunch of heavy lifting for this universe they were going to set up. I mean... Is there really any reason you have to have Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in it? Is there any reason they have to, like, you know, kind of set up this this organization in this movie? Um, you did if you were going to set up a universe and right. they were going to be part of that. So, Well, yeah, I mean, they were, they were basically trying to lay the groundwork. But in laying the groundwork, they just kind of forgot to make a cohesive film. Right. It's kind of like, well, let's throw this in, let's throw that in, and let's do, you know. Mm-hmm. And it just uh, did not work out. Now, see, I don't, I don't have the commander's hate for Tom Cruise. <laughs> I mean, I, I enjoy the remake of War of the Worlds. I can watch some of the uh, Mission Impossible films. Yeah, I like, uh, I like the Mission Impossible movies. I think there's a, and I really liked Maverick this year. Did you guys see? See, uh, Lieutenant Debbie yeah. really wants to see Maverick, but uh, that was good. we haven't seen that, that yet. Really but, you know, I, Top Gun is good. Yeah, your mission commander caved on that one. It was good. It was a very, it was like by the book, but it was like the people who made it understood exactly what buttons to push. Hey, we're going to give you those feels that you got from the first film and they, they delivered and then some. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't, I don't have a hatred for Tom Cruise. I just oh. think this was the wrong vehicle for him. I hate Tom Cruise as much as I hate hemorrhoids. I mean, that's just how <laughs> much disdain I have for the man. Oh my goodness! Oh, sometimes, sometimes you have to be able to separate the actor from the role. And you know, it's like I just, I can't. Minority Report's okay. Maverick, Top Gun. Maybe risky business, but that's about it. Unless he wants to come on and plug Planet 8, then I love your films, Mr. Cruz. <laughs> well, it, it also the film, I <laughs> at, at the end of it, he's transformed into some sort of creature, but mm-hmm. it's unclear, like, is he possessed? Is he a demon? What is he? It's just, like... So Could have been Dracula for all we know. I mean, you know, he inhaled some of her juju or whatever, and mm-hmm. yeah, it just, just became really... some kind of demon thing. Who do that voodoo like you do? I mean, I don't know. Call in El Santo; he'll figure it out. 
you know, and they have the whole Dark Universe logo at the beginning. So, you know, it's like, well, okay, this was supposed to be it. Even though we had gotten Dracula Untold yep. prior to this. I mean, we Wolf also got the Wolfman. I yeah. don't know if the Invisible Man was supposed to be a part of this universe. I never saw that one. Yeah, but I mean, some of those were good films. So they should have just yeah. counted those as part of that universe. And the mummy's a continuation or whatever, but I just don't think the mummy was quite the right one to kick it off with. And maybe they were trying to cash in on the popularity of the the Brendan Fraser films and thought maybe it had some name value from those. Maybe. But I don't know. You know. It seems like and maybe Frankenstein's been overdone, Wolfman. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they could have done the creature and started off with that. At this point, I don't, I don't want any of them touching the creature. They, they, well, they've already done the Shape of Water. Mm-hmm. That was a good movie, actually. That was a good, good movie. Yeah. It was an homage. It wasn't like the creature, but it was a creature. So. Well, Del Toro was like after Universal for years to let him remake Creature from the Black Lagoon, yeah, and, and they it told just never, no. never got off the ground. And so he went and made his own version. I'll do that. There you go. And that was Shape of Water. Indeed. Okay. Well, my friends, I, I think we've covered about as many mummies as we can, other than the Lou Ferrigno mummy movie that I, again, ran out of time, Mummy Dearest. <laughs> and I it might, I don't know where it's at. It's, it's out there on the interweb somewhere, and it, well, it's on my list. Lou Ferrigno. Also. I did see it while, while uh, searching for... Mummy movies and falling on Frankenstein yeah. meets the mummy or versus the mummy. But I did see Mummy time, Dearest on there somewhere. The, the whole time that I was going through mummy movies and doing this whole thing, I couldn't get this song out of my head from Mad Monster Party. <laughs> it's the mummy. It's the mummy. Yeah. I, I just keep having that song go through my head. So the mummy in Mad Monster Party is a, a pretty cool mummy. He's even got the little Egyptian thing on his forehead, the little cobra, I think. And he's he's not a bad mummy. Um God, I can't think of the name of the mummy movie that I like, but it's uh Bobby McFerrin and coincidentally on that uh lion uh Thing from the 80s, the cartoon with the mummy, there was a little character called Snarf, and he voiced the little Snarf character. And the thing Snarf would only go, Snarf, 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 Snarf. He couldn't talk, but. Um... <laughs> oh, my God. And on that uh, note. <laughs> I, it's called I'm a Mummy. Um, anyway, maybe we can put it on the. Uh, on the podcast, uh, a link to the um, YouTube video or something. But uh, it is that time of the night of the episode where we get into our sensor sweep. The latest and greatest items to come to our attention, come to our desk, come for us to review and share with you, the viewers. You may not know this, but Chief Engineer... Bob is a terrible influence on your mission commander. I had to borrow a tool from Bob. I go pick it up, and Bob's like, oh, I'm going to be 10 minutes late. And I'm like, all right, I'll wait for you. I'm going to give him back his tool. 
and he drives up in his truck with this like foot hanging out of it and you know bandages and whatever. He's like, guess what I got? And I'm like, you know, you know that like ten foot tall mummy at Lowe's. I'm like, oh my god, yep, I got one of those. Or is it eight foot, Bob? I forget. It's twelve foot tall. Twelve. Oh my god. Twelve foot. The man does not play. That's right. Go big or go home. Yeah. <laughs> I give him back his tool and I driving home and I'm like, what the hell is he going to do with that 12 foot tall mummy? And I had to go to Lowe's to pick up, you know, an oogie boogie or something. And I see that sucker all animated and oh, he lights up and everything. It's, it's pretty cool. Oh, you know, it, it, very cool. And that's the thing is you, the, they have a, like a huge skeleton out there at, at uh, one of the competing hardware stores. And he's, he's tall and, and he's cool, but he does nothing. And, and this nothing. mummy swings back and forth. His eyes light up. He talks. So I, I pull out my Lowe's credit card and I bite the bullet and I tried to explain to my wife why I had to get an eight foot, 12 foot tall mummy. So I don't think we'll have them up. At least I won't have it up in my yard, Bob, by the time the podcast is. Are you going to have yours up? Uh, in time for the podcast, probably not. But All right. I think Maybe what we're we plan what we're planning on doing this year is my backyard has two gates, one at mm. each end. So I think we're going to do everything in the backyard this time. The mummy will be in there, and uh, all the kids they'll come through one gate. They'll go through and see all whatever we have, all the things set up. <laughs> we're probably going to have like some skeleton. We'll have a skeleton bartender at the tiki bar and a couple of uh, skeleton patrons and. We'll have the mummy, and we'll have we've got an Area Fifty One alien in a in a thing, and yeah, it'll, it'll be cool. And then you'll basically wind up in the tiki patio where you where you'll get your candy, and then you'll exit through a gate over there. And Where's so, the giant mummy going to be? The giant mummy will probably be against the monster garage as they enter or as they exit. Uh, it's sort of as they approach the tiki bar or the tiki patio. Did you buy that animated bartender from, um, um, no, I didn't, but yeah, I, I came close, but the mummy kind of blew up my, uh, my, my <laughs> pocketbook at my credit score. I, I would love to see Jasmine's expression when you came home and how much did that thing cost? Yeah. And <laughs> Oh my Lord. So but I got a discount have... on mine because the only one they had was the one that was on display. Did and they so get the box? They got, no, I didn't get the box. But a couple guys came, helped me tear it down and get in the back of my truck. And he's laying in my basement right now, taking up almost the whole basement. So, <laughs> Well, and see, Bob, that's the thing. I, I Jazz still hasn't seen it. I put the box in the storage shed and um, the box – I mean, it's big, but it, it's not that big, and the thing weighs all of fifty pounds. Oh wow! Yeah, is it inflated? No, it, it's this. You know, you, it comes you apart. Like a, a, what's that, Bob? It comes apart. It has like a metal skeleton yeah, you need for like better. Like a wrench, right? Like a socket wrench. No, it's got little ball bearings. You like push them in and pull it out. Oh, okay. I, I was watching this video, and this guy was like, you had a ratchet and was doing Well, maybe when like you that. get further into it, I'd have to look, but... Mm. Well, anyway, we'll, there, there are videos on YouTube, so maybe we can we can post a link to the... Oh, that sucker is huge. And so, 
Well, I'm going to put it in the front yard, Bob, over here. No, but I'm perfect. Thinking I'm going to need to anchor it down and put like cinder blocks on it so it doesn't like blow. But yeah, they had, it, Lowe's, they had cinder blocks on it. Uh, you know, you can get sandbags or whatever, put it on there, but. Yeah, and my I got I got to look at what the rain's like over the next few weeks. I don't need it to get yeah. rained on, but I, I don't plan on putting it out until like days before Halloween, yeah. maybe that Friday. Um, but my father in law is like, aren't you afraid someone's going to steal it? So I got padlocks and all kinds of chains <laughs> and stuff to lock that sucker down in case someone pulls up in their pickup truck and tries to liberate the mummy. But anyway, folks, so so if you get a chance, actually, sadly, we were talking about this. Almost all the Halloween stuff is is gone from Lowe's yeah. and or Home Depot. Well, at least all the cool stuff like is gone. Christmas. There's still some straggling bits of Halloween. Oh, there. little pieces of pumpkins and like a zombie, it, it, you it, know. It, it annoys me. Like I, we were talking beforehand, you know, I walk into Lowe's this weekend and there's Santa Claus. <laughs> it's it's, it's freaking up and Rudolph. second and it's or first and it's yeah they're all pushing christmas on us it's like can we have one holiday at a time can you let the holidays breathe a little yeah it's just ridiculous it is it is but hey um I, actually i don't know if you guys can find that giant mummy out there anymore um there may be some out who knows well, I guess I had to get the uh, I had to get the uh, one that was on display because all the ones in boxes were gone. That was the last one. Left. Well, and I, I have to thank Bob, and I didn't wait that long because my fear was they would all disappear, and I I was able to pick one up after work in San Jose, Bob, off ah. over there off of Coleman or oh. Brokaw. Um, and the guy was like, "Well, you better hurry. We only have two. And I'm like, "Oh, oh my I need god, to take leave." <laughs> I need to leave work now. I need to take time off. <laughs> but, take um, some uh, good pictures once you guys get them set up. Oh, uh, definitely. Yeah, you know, put them will, on Facebook and Twitter. And I'll say, God bless Jasmine, because at first she's like, no, I don't get that. Uh, you know, one year, last year I got the Headless Horseman, and the idea was to take it to Creatures Con. And it's this six-foot-tall figure with an axe, and it's got the pumpkin out, and you put batteries in the pumpkin, like, you know, and, Toxie and stuff, and I forgot. Well, maybe I didn't forget, but it was in my office, and I asked her to go get my checkbook, and she turns on the light and he's like, and scared the crap out of her. So she's like, No, don't, don't get something that's gonna like jump out or something. But we started putting together, we got a Jack Skellington, and, and I'm like, Can you help with the Jack Skellington? And she's like, No, no. But then she got into it, so God love her. She puts up with so much so of my crap. Much. Well, see, Debbie and I oh. kind of put up with each other because it's like I texted her like, oh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to talk to him about the mummy. There's a one on display. And she goes, are you going to get it? And I'm like, yeah. She goes, good. <laughs> so Match made in some place. Yeah. In <laughs> Halloween heaven. Yeah, that's right. Well, my friends, uh, this was fun as always. Uh, those of you listening, um, please, please comment on our uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Um, we appreciate you guys tuning in uh, time after time. Um, keep the comments coming. Uh, we appreciate you guys. Stay safe. Take care of yourselves. This brings us to the close of another episode. Peace out.
On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet8Cast. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash planet8podcast. We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet 8, signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end. Now when he was a young man, he never thought he'd see people stand in line to see the boy king. King Tut, how'd you get so funky? Did you do the monkey? My favorite honky. Born in Arizona, who is a Babylonian king? Dancing by the Nile. Disco